So can everybody hear me? Okay, so first step was to not trip up the stage, so I've already won there. Um, thank you, Pastor Andrew, and for First Baptist Church Oxford for inviting uh, Julie and I down here um, for this weekend. Um, we have greatly enjoyed, in the short time that we have been here, getting to know um, some of the families and the children and student ministry, as well as the uh, parents with them. and. Uh, we are extremely grateful um, for the hospitality that we have been shown um, in this short period being here with you. Um, like Pastor Andrew said, I, uh, my wife and I, we are both originally from Richmond, Virginia, and we have called Lynchburg, Virginia home for the last 10 years. Uh, we are both graduates from Liberty University. Julie got her undergraduate degree in psychology and her master's in human services and then school just wasn't enough for her, so she went back and got her associates in business. Um, so she definitely um, is a smarter one in our marriage when it comes to education and background. So this week, or the last few weeks, I have, just being open and honest with you, been struggling about what to present. Um, I love God's word, and when I open scripture, my mind just goes a mile a minute when it comes to what I wanna preach on and what I wanna teach on. And I was going back and forth between John 4, uh, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, as well as what it means to find joy in our identity. Both of those lessons and stories are applicable in today's day and age. Uh, but the one that God um, laid on my heart to bring to you this morning was finding joy in your identity. In the world we live in, there are thousands of different distractions that tell us what we should wear, where we should work, what car we should drive, how much money we should have in our bank account. Now, while those things aren't bad to have, we also can allow them to distract us from who we are called to serve and why we were created. There's a story about my life a few weeks ago um, that I'm sure a few of you can resonate with. Uh, I was at work one afternoon and I wanted to get a Coke. Um, so we have vending machines in our office and I went to get a Coke out of the vending machine, put my dollar in, a few seconds later the machine spit my dollar back out at me. So I did what any reasonable person would do. I looked at the dollar, made sure that there weren't any creases on the corners. I smoothed it out. Maybe I thought I put it in backwards, if you can even do that with a dollar. Put the machine back in, or put the dollar back in the machine, and it rejected my dollar again. So at this point, I took the dollar, kind of smoothed it actually on the machine, um, because I was like, I really want this Coke. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. I had an hour and a half left to work. I'm sure those of you who have a full-time job, you can understand just making it through the last hour of your work. Uh, so third time, a uh, dollar was rejected. So I should have taken this as a divine uh, inspiration to not get a Coke. Uh, but no, I went back to my desk and got a, a brand new dollar and uh, put it in the machine and the machine took it, was able to get my 50 cents and I got my Coke. So I went back to my desk and finished my job. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself, why was one dollar 
accepted and the other one wasn't. From everything that I could see, the dollar was green. It had the dollar bill on it. It had George Washington on it. So in every sense of a dollar bill, it was a dollar bill. So why wasn't it re accepted the first time, but the second dollar that wasn't wrinkled, that didn't have torn edges, was accepted? And it got me thinking a lot about my own life, that a lot of the times I look at myself as that dollar, the one that is wrinkled, the one that has the torn edges, the one that's not good enough to be accepted by the world. When in reality, God has created me to be like that other dollar, the dollar that doesn't have any torn edges, the dollar that doesn't have the wrinkles on it, the dollar that when you put it in the machine, it accepts it. Scripture is full of stories of men and women that God used to do extraordinary tasks. A lot of them kind of think like you and I do that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy of the calling that God has placed on our life. Moses comes to my mind when God called Moses to go speak to Pharaoh. We all know Moses told God, I have a stuttering problem. I can't do this. You fast forward to the book of Judges, you see Gideon. Gideon was probably one of the scaredest people that you'll ever read about in the book. Um, it's said that I had a professor at Liberty who put it this way, Gideon was afraid of his own shadow, basically to where the story of Gideon, when he was in the wine press sifting wheat, he was actually in the wine press. And if you don't know what a wine press is, it's a giant hole in the ground where you would go and you would throw wheat up in the air and the wind would blow away and the wheat would fall down because it was heavier. So Gideon was basically throwing the stuff up and allowing all the good stuff to fall down on him. But we all know the story that God used Gideon with a hundred men to defeat the armies. So if God is able to use somebody who has a stuttering problem, or if somebody who is afraid of their own shadow, how could God not use you or me to do his work? Today we're going to look at the life of David very briefly. David is considered to be a man after God's own heart. Early on in David's life, we know that he was a young shepherd, that he was chosen to be king of Israel. And chapter, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we learn about David's background and actually where we hear about David for the first time. But today we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, which is a very popular passage because it is the story of David and Goliath. But we're not necessarily going to look at the story of David and Goliath. We're going to look at David's life right up to the fight with Goliath. And we're going to see how David, right after being declared king of Israel, faced rejection in his own life and how he remembered that he was created 
to be better than what the world said about him. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn it to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to pick up in verses 28 and 29. And it says this, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he, he being David, spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And I'm sure if any of us have ever had confrontation with an older brother um, or a sibling, we've all had this response. David asks his brother, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? So see here, Eliab was the eldest brother to David. David was the youngest of eight, and Jewish tradition and custom was when the father of the household passed away, it was the next eldest brother to take over to take care of the family. So naturally, when Samuel came to Jesse's house to find the next king where God told him he was going to find the next king, it would just be assumed that Eliab would be the first or the next king over Israel. But in reality, he wasn't. He actually called all seven of his brothers in to be chosen to be the next king, and none of them God had called to be the next king. So what I love about 1 Samuel 16 is there's a little kind of like a side conversation between Samuel and God where God tells Samuel that don't look at the outward appearance because that's what man looks at. For God looks at the inward appearance. And then Samuel, as we've all heard the story, asks Jesse if there's one other sibling, and Jesse calls David. Now, I'm the youngest out of, uh, I have an older brother who's 10 years older than me. So my brother played football in high school. Um, I attempted to play football, but unfortunately, God did not gift me with athletic capabilities. Um, So I could understand that if somebody was coming to my house to look for the next tight end or quarterback, they would go to my brother over me. But thankfully, God doesn't look at what man looks at. God looks at what's at the heart and what we're created and what man can't see. So fast forward to 1 Samuel 17 with this exchange between Eliab and David, and now it makes sense as to why Eliab would reject David in this manner. Eliab, instead of telling the fellow soldiers, this is my brother, this is David, he's going to be the next king of Israel. No, he does the opposite. He looks at David and says, why are you here? Now, I've heard that before from my brother. I love my brother to death, but being 10 years apart, Uh, When he started to date, I was six years old, so you don't want your kid brother around when you're learning to drive and to date. Um, So my brother, a lot of times, would ask me what I was doing here, Um, go back home, go back to your room. Uh, So I can understand how rejection from family hurts. Because if anybody, our family should be the ones who are in our corner. Our family should be the one who are telling us that you can do this. 
that you've got this, that God's called you to be the next king of Israel, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. But because of jealousy, because of envy, because of being overshadowed by his younger brother, Eliab didn't want David to be there. So that's the first rejection that David faced, was the rejection of family. Now, as the story continues, the report of what David was saying to the men got back to Saul, who was king at the time, who David was taking his place. So if we go to 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 through 33, or 37, I'm sorry, it says, And David said to Saul, Let this man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go ahead and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but, students, listen to this, a youth. And he, being Goliath, has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when, the lion, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out from the mouth. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall, shall fall like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. The next rejection that David faced was the rejection of his abilities. Now, I'm sure none of you who have full-time jobs have gone out for a promotion, or those of you who play sports or are in theater or band, orchestra, whatever it may be, have ever put the time and effort into learning these new skills and learning these abilities and then going to your boss, going to the coach, going to the director of whatever it may be and saying, I want to do this. Let me go and do this. And then them look at you and say, no, you're not good enough. There's somebody else out there who can do this for you. And then David basically gives his resume about why he is the qualified candidate to do this. And what I love about David is he talks about the lion and the bear and how he went out and delivered them. But at the end of it, what he tells Saul was, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the Philistine. See, before David even went out to the battle, before David attempted to put King Saul's armor on, before David got the rocks out of the river, put them in the slingshot, David knew who had his back. And I loved the song we sang this morning about the God of angel armies. Like, David understood the God of angel armies had his back. That no matter what the Philistine did to him, God was in his corner. 
We face different struggles every day. And do we run to the truth knowing that the God of angel armies is always by our side? That no matter COVID or whatever comes next or whatever came before, the God of angel armies is always by my side. So King Saul looked at David and he told him to go, to go face the Philistine. So we can see already David's faced two rejections. Rejection by family, rejection by his boss, if you will. And next, in my opinion, is probably the worst, if not the most humiliating rejection of them all. And this is David being rejected by Goliath. And we pick up here in 1 Samuel 17, 41 through 44. And it says, And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disclaimed him, for he was but, there's that word again, a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds and to the air and to the beast of the field. David wasn't worth Goliath's time, is basically what David is telling Goliath, or what Goliath is telling David. That Goliath, for 40 days, as the story says, has been coming up to the Philistine army, or sorry, the Israelite army, and saying, where's your warrior? Who's going to fight me? And for 40 days, the Israelites ran away from the Philistine. And then here comes David, a shepherd boy, somebody who was young, somebody who the world probably overlooked as being a warrior who could defeat the Philistine. And scripture doesn't say this, um, but I can imagine David going, well, I'll do it because I know who has my back. And the Israelite army should have known who had their back because these were the people of the descendants of the Israelites who Moses brought out of Egypt. The ones that wandered in the wilderness for 40 days, their clothes, shoes, never wore out. Now I go through a pair of shoes three or four times in a year. Um, I could only imagine wandering in the wilderness for that long and having the same pair of shoes. God provided food for them. God provided water for them. But how quickly were the Israelites turned away from that remembrance when they faced opposition? And if we're being honest with ourselves, we too remember all the good things that God has done for us, that God has provided for us, those prayers that we have asked and God's answered. But when opposition faces us, we turn around and we run the other way. 
Because we think God can't do it again. God's already done so much for me, there's no way he can do anything more. Well, as the story goes, as we all know, David goes to face Goliath. David has three stones. Whether David needed all three stones, story doesn't say because all it took one. David knew because of God, he was going to deliver him from the Philistine. And that's my encouragement to you guys today, that whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, remember that the God of angel armies always has your side. So we're going to look at a few practical ways of how we can find joy in our identity, about how we can understand what our worth is and what our value is. The first one is, God created us to be unique and wonderful. Psalm 139.14 is probably one of my favorite psalms in the book because it's written by David, the same David we just talked about who was rejected by family, by his boss, and by his adversary, wrote these words about not only himself, but for you and I. In Psalm 139, starting at verse 13, it reads, For you, speaking of God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The psalmist here, David, describes himself as wonderful, as fearfully made. Everyone in this room, you are all fearfully and wonderfully made. You are all made in God's image. And if you don't believe me, go back and read Genesis. What I love about the story of creation is when God created the heavens and the earth, the trees, the land, the animals, everything. He spoke them into existence. With you and I, with Adam, it was a different creation story for us. I'm not a farmer. Um, my wife and I, we have attempted to grow um, flowers in our apartment and they've died reluctantly. Um, so please don't ask us to ever watch any of your like plants because they will not survive. But the picture that we see in Genesis is that of a worker. God stepped down from where he was, got on his hands and knees, and formed out of the dirt, got his hands dirty for you and I. God took his own essence, his own being, and poured it into that body. 
Because of that, we are a unique creation. There is no other creation out there, birds, cats, dogs, anything, that is as unique as you and I. Everyone in this room is unique. Everyone in this room is different. You look different, you sound different. I'm sorry if you're a twin, you might look like your twin, but you're still different than your twin. But we are all created to be unique. We were all created wonderfully. And we were all created with a purpose. In the morning, we don't wake up, take a picture of ourselves, and post it for the world to see. Because we don't want the world to see us in that light. No, what we do is we take a shower, we do our hair, ladies, you put makeup on, and then we take a photo. Because that's the wor picture we want the world to see. Because that's who the world tells us that we need to be. That we need to do our hair, we need to put our makeup on, we need to dress a certain way before we'll be accepted. You and I may look in the mirror and we may see something that we don't like. God looks at us in the mirror and he sees exactly what he created. A unique and wonderful creation. So you can find joy in your identity by understanding first that you are unique and wonderfully made and that God created you with a purpose. Next, you can understand that you're a unique creation because Christ redeemed us at the right time. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 7, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Jesus looked at you and I when we were enemies of God, when we were sinners. And he said, I want you to be part of my family. I have chosen you to be with me for eternity. And at the right time, I love those words. A minute microwave meal isn't fast enough. Drive-through definitely is not fast enough. We live in a generation where we want it now. We want all the new technology yesterday. But we have to remember that at the right time, God. Nothing you can do, nothing you can say ever catches God off guard. There's no way that going home this afternoon, having conversations with your family, God's going to be like, well, I didn't expect them to say that. No, God knows what you're going to say, when you're going to say it, because he created us, and he designed us, and he knows us. And it also paints a picture of how we need God. It says that while we were weak. Now, again, clearly I'm no bodybuilder. Um, I try to exercise once a month when I'm able to. <laughs> but... 
The weakness that it's talking here is not about our physical strength. When we were spiritually weak, that there was nothing you and I could do that we could say that would ever make that relationship whole again with God. It says that on our worst day isn't bad enough and our best day isn't good enough. But grace invites us in because God loved us. Because you are loved by the Creator, He chose you to be part of His family. And that alone is where we can find joy in our identity. But we also need to understand that our identity and finding joy in our identity was worth Jesus. Continuing in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, while we were rejected the teachings of God, God demonstrated his love for us. And that love is right behind me. That cross, that death and punishment that everyone in this room deserved. But because God loved us, God sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you want to make that verse even more personal, for God so loved Brandon that he gave his one and only son that if Brandon should believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You were worth Jesus to God. His one and only son is who you were worth. And lastly, we can find joy in our identity by understanding that we don't live for acceptance because we've already been accepted by God. Going back to 1 Samuel 16, it says, When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the inward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The biggest lie that we are told is our value comes from your performance and what others say about you. As I had mentioned before, the car you drive, the job you have, fill in the blank, whatever the world has told you that you need to have in order to have value blinds us from where our true value and worth comes from. 
So how do we combat that? Well, by looking at what Scripture says. Colossians 1, 21 through 22 says this. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, we are presented holy and blameless before God. That we are made complete through Jesus because of that love. That no matter what the world says, you can rest on knowing where your identity comes from. Rejection's hard, and rejection is difficult. And we're all going to face rejection, whether past, present, or future. And when we allow those thoughts and feelings to enter our mind, we allow ourselves to miss the life that God has called us to live. So what do we need to do when rejection comes? We need to run to Scripture. We need to see what God's Word says about us. And then we need to live in the freedom and grace knowing that our identity comes from Christ.